Good afternoon. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. Exhale. The Toronto Blue Jays beat the Baltimore Orioles yesterday, 6-1. to one. They salvage one game from that series. They avoid falling behind the Baltimore Orioles and out of a playoff spot for the time being. Didn't always look like it was going that way. Ross Stripling goes six perfect. And as the game enters the seventh, he is not in line to be the pitcher of record. Uh, He comes out in the seventh after giving up a hit. Bit of a choice of his own. And then the Jays bats come through for him in the bottom of the seventh. Uh, Jimmy Garcia ends up getting the actual win, but Ross Stripling's performance was not for nothing. 13 whiffs, seven Ks, 35% of his pitches were called or swinging strikes. By most metrics, his second or third best start of the season. Nothing's touching that Boston one from April just yet. He was really good. Really, really good. And in his first start off the IL, on a day when we found out Yusei Kikuchi is going to the bullpen, boy, did the Jays need it. The bats coming alive was obviously big as well. We're in a bit of a funny spot here as the Jays head into New York, because both of those teams had been struggling, especially at the plate. The Yankees had scored just nine runs over seven games. And then if you didn't see it, the Yankees are tied 4-4 with the Rays last night through nine. The Rays put up three in the top of the 10th. And you think, oh boy, things are getting even worse for the Yankees. Uh, Josh Donaldson came through with a walk-off grand slam in that one. So now what you have is two teams that were struggling who each just had a game where the fan base and the the clubhouse are trying to say, well, yeah, you, you get one and then it starts to build and, and that's all you need and you can get rolling. Momentum will be both proven and disproven tonight. Both the teams can't win. So yesterday's game uh, will have obviously kickstarted a big run for one team and meant nothing to the other. You say Kikuchi is off to the bullpen, which means... Mitch White getting the start on the weekend. Not tonight, though. Tonight, it's Barrios against Montes. We'll tee that up throughout the course of the show, as we always do. Uh, we got a fun one today. We're going to be joined by Cesar Martin at 3.30. He is the manager of AA New Hampshire, the Blue Jays AA affiliate. Uh, he was the 2019 manager of the year when he was with Dunedin. He has come all the way up through the organization Um, from the Dominican League through Bluefield, Lansing, Dunedin, now New Hampshire, knows a lot of the guys in this organization pretty well. Aurelvis Martinez is tied for the franchise record in home runs right now, and he's got 28 games left to get there. Uh, We'll talk to Cesar about that. We'll talk to him about Ricky Tiedemann. We'll talk to him about Sam Roberts. Uh, Lots to talk to Cesar about. We've also got Lindsay Adler of The Athletic coming on at 4 o'clock. We'll talk to her about the Yankees side of things, try to figure out exactly what's going on in that 12 and 22 stretch. We'll take your texts, of course, too. 590-590, or you can tweet me at Blake Murphy ODC. Uh, we'll have time, a few few times throughout the show to sprinkle in some some questions or comments. Obviously, we did a lot of Jays talk post game yesterday, so maybe you don't have anything fresh, but maybe you do, and we want to hear it. Right now, though, from MLB.com, she claims she was difficult yesterday and i want to get into that with her it's julia kreutz julia how are you hey thank you so much for having me on don't worry the day was yesterday i'm back to being not difficult today what is the bar for you being considered difficult when you work with keegan matheson every day so that 
so that is the question, isn't it, Blake? Uh, we often joke that uh, I should get a bonus at the end of the year for sort of weathering the, the difficulties of Keegan Matheson. And yesterday was the day, you know, you, you, you kind of wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Uh, you're, I was six days into going to the ballpark, and I said, you know what? Today is my day. It's my day to shine. I'm going to be difficult. But me being difficult really just meant that I, I sat there in silence uh, and uh, maybe didn't crack as many jokes as usual. No, I, I, I really don't even know how to be difficult, to be honest with you. No, it doesn't seem like you do. You're, you're delightful. So I don't know what that looked like. I was a little curious about it. Um, the other, another thing you, you posted on social yesterday, though, you do these six days at the ballpark in a row. You want a break. You go home. And you watch a league of their own. And, and I wanted to bring it up because uh, we did have Kelly McCormack on the show last week. She threw out the first pitch uh, in Friday's Blue Jays game. Uh, she's awesome, a, a very cool uh, actress and writer to root for. Uh, curious your quick takes on the show. I, I know you probably haven't got all the way in yet uh, unless you pulled an all-nighter last night. But what do you think of it? Man, honestly, I, um, I'm really happy that I finally have the time to watch it because it has been a busy stretch for us with the homestand. But uh, it, I could not recommend it more. I think that it's so inclusive in the way that it tells the story. Uh, the plurality is really something that I'm admiring. And, you know, as a person who is, uh, you know, I'm a woman, I am Latina, I am queer, and I'm covering this sport for a living and seeing that portrayed in a prime video show uh, to me, has been really, really heartwarming. And I think that that is how we grow the game, right? Like we've talked about it a little bit, bringing in uh, new types of fans to, to enjoy baseball. And I think that that is one of the best ways to do it, seeing yourself portrayed on the screen like that. It's been, it's been really fascinating to watch. That's awesome to hear. I'm glad you're enjoying it um, on multiple levels. And yeah, in terms of growing the game, it was a, a great kind of weekend around Rogers Center last weekend where, you know, Kelly throws out the first pitch one day and that show gets talked about. And then Jada Lee, the 16-year-old who's playing with the boys in the Canada games, throws out the first pitch the next day and she's pushing like 80 on the, on the gun. Um, it's <laughs> great. There's more room for everyone. Uh, my only regret with A League of Their Own is that because it has to be true to the era, uh, you know, all, all the sports writers in the show look like me and they're all jerks. Uh, so, you know, the more things change, Julia, um, Okay, on the on that Jays Orioles side, let, let's fast forward to this past series instead of last weekend's. You were on the Orioles side for MLB.com. That is a team that has been fun all season. But when you're around them, when you're in that clubhouse, when you're talking to them, do you did you get the sense that that's a group that that really believes and has moved past the happy to be here part of the season? Certainly. That's, uh, I think that's the, the biggest takeaway uh, from the Orioles right now is that not only are they having a lot of fun, they believe in, them, in themselves and they believe that they are playing the sort of well-rounded and timely baseball that can lead to good things coming up. We know that you know they were sellers at the trade deadline. It's not like they're expecting to make the postseason this year or you know, go on a run or anything, but the fact that they're on the cusp and they're still having fun while doing it. And it's a very light uh, environment to be around. It really tells you all you need to know. My favorite part about covering them was some of the players were wearing pregame, a shirt that said 
chaos in the font, the Orioles font, and just seeing them sort of embrace that identity and understand that they know that they're not supposed to be where they are, but they actually believe that they can, and they are loving wreaking havoc on the American League, it's pretty fun. I can't imagine a more fun team environment to be in, right? Like things are going well. You don't have the weight of expectations that we've seen the Blue Jays wear pretty heavily when, when things aren't going well. And yeah, you have the, the insulation of if you don't make it, well, there are really bright years ahead and on the way you can play spoiler. And hey, we're this late in the season. You might make it in anyway. Um, when you look at the playoff race, Julia, and you have now seen this Orioles team five games in the last uh, 10 days or whatever it is, um, has your belief in their ability to actually get this done and steal a playoff spot changed? Yeah, it, it, look, it's a, it's a fascinating story and here's the thing they would have to find a little bit more consistency because when they win and i talked to joey crable about this yesterday he said we don't have any boring wins you know <laughs> it's uh, it's always electric and it is very much a culmination of everything all of the the, the sum of their parts let's say right so uh their offense shines and then the bullpen is amazing they had some really good starting pitching uh, in the series against the blue jays but then when they falter, it's nights like or days like yesterday in which the offense just did not show up and the bullpen gave the game away. So that consistency is something that will come with time and with experience. They have been no hit almost twice in the past couple of weeks. So we see that there's still a lot of development and a lot of learning uh, for this club. And there's also still a lot of baseball to be played. So it will all depend on the schedule, on how healthy they can be, and uh, the lessons that they're learning along the way. But, you know, for the the week that they were here, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I know that many Blue Jays fans are aggravated with how that series went. But it kind of showed us that the Orioles may be a little more legit than we expected. Well, I've said this a few times on this show and on the Fan Morning Show. And and Julia, forgive me for going to the wrestling world for a second. But, you know, (laughs) Wrestling 101 is if you grab the microphone and you tell the whole crowd that your opponent sucks and he's no good. If you beat him, then who cares? You just beat a guy that sucks that you just told everyone is no good. If you hype up that opponent, make them sound good. Then when you beat them, it's much more legitimate. It feels bigger. So that's, yeah, you, you got to respect the Orioles. There's uh, there's no sense knocking them down because, it, like you said, Jays fans are a little angsty about it. The Orioles are a little annoying. But if you admit the Orioles are pretty good, then it, it makes those wins seem a little better. Um, on the Jays side, so they get a terrific start out of Ross Stripling to kind of right the ship. Perfect through six, comes out in the seventh. What did you think of not only the decision to uh, take him out after 72 pitches there, um, not far off what he threw in his rehab outing, not particularly close to his season high, um, and on top of that, his own explanation as to why he came out of that game? Yeah, it's... uh, Look, I honestly found it very understandable that uh, the Blue Jays would at least check in with him at that point and see how he's doing. Let's not forget that Stripling is full-time in the rotation right now, but he has split his time between the bullpen and the starting rotation. He did come back from an IL stint 
So there are a few factors that make it understandable why the Blue Jays would give him such a short leash there. At the same time, you know, as a fan of the game, it would have been pretty great to see him go on. But there is a mental aspect of it too, right? You see your manager come out and you sort of, uh, that, that, that will maybe destabilize or do something to you mentally that you just can't go back to that uh, mentality, that focus that you need to get the next batter and props to him for recognizing that as well and not pushing it. So I don't know, as a fan of the game, it was sort of a frustrating decision, but I always try to put myself in the shoes of the people that are actually playing the game. And then that makes it a little more justifiable, I would say, but I'm not trying to convince any fans to, to get on board here. I get it. It, it, it would have been fun to, to see him keep going there. Longer term, with where this rotation's at, you say Kikuchi now in the bullpen, Mitch White in there, Jose Brios giving you who knows what night to night. Do you think the Jays are at a point with Ross Stripling where, you know, sub three ERA, back off the IL, looked great in his first start. At a certain point, you maybe do what you've been trying to avoid all year and experiment with letting him go a third time through the order, pushing closer to 100 pitches maybe? Yeah, I think that it all depends on how meaningful that third time through the order is, right? If it's a a blowout game at that point, if the Blue Jays have a little bit more cushion in the wild card race or what have you, you know, there's a series with the Yankees coming up. Maybe they'll make some ground there in the the pennant race. Anything is possible at this point with the way that these teams are playing. Um, You know, analytically and, and based on the fact that the Blue Jays are playing Every single pitch right now is so meaningful. It's uh, tough to see something, an experiment or, you know, something larger come at this moment. But if things turn around, and especially with the schedule easing up a little bit after the Yankees series, it, it is definitely possible that we will see that. You know, we already saw a pretty big move from the Blue Jays yesterday in which they announced that now that, you know, you take Kikuchi is not going to start. He, he's, he was sitting in the bullpen and, you know, he wasn't part of the, of the walkout of the starters and all of that. So that's a pretty big experiment. That's a, pr- a pretty big change. And so that could indicate that there are more things uh, coming in that sense. So dramatic the way they reveal that, oh, he's not there for the walkout and oops, now he's in the bullpen. Um, what do you think uh, of that move in general? I know that John Schneider had continued to say everything's on the table, everything's on the table. Some people felt you really couldn't trot him out there again. There's some skepticism, some optimism about what he could look like as a reliever. Um, how, do you, how do you feel about that decision? And what are you looking for from Kikuchi the first time they bring him out of the pen? Basically, will he command the strike zone? And I think that moving him to the bullpen makes sense in a way that, you know, that is a very bloated contract. And and this is a guy that can get the strikeouts when he's on. At the same time, you clearly cannot give him another start with the way that things have gone of late. And that sort of presents itself as, as a solution, move him to the bullpen. But we also know that most of his struggles have happened the first time through the order in the first inning. So how is he going to look out of the bullpen? How does the mentality need to be adjusted? And will he come out throwing strikes? That's the most important thing here. Uh, I'm a little 
skeptic, as mm. you put it, Blake, because we know that Kikuchi's issues have come early in the game. And so maybe giving him one inning of relief might not be the best idea. But again, it'll all depend on game situation, um, you know, how high the leverage spot is and, and how the Blue Jays are doing overall. Um, it, I would be shocked if he were to pitch, say, in this uh, Yankee series at any meaningful point of a game. Yeah, that would be, I guess, at least it's a little uh, it's a little tougher for righties at Yankee Stadium instead of lefties. But yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine a, a leverage spot for him, although. Jose Brios is starting tonight, and after what we've seen the last two starts, maybe Kikuchi gets called into uh, long action tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, the Yankees, you know, they have that short porch. They can put as many as six lefties or switch hitters in the lineup. Um, they're not as good that way. Their their switch hitters tend to be not great or, or struggling. Um, with Jose Brios and the Yankees offense struggling as it has, um, this is kind of the same question I just asked you with Kikuchi, but what are you looking for from him? And, you know, is there a path back to having confidence in him or has he lost it too many times? I don't think he has lost it too many times. And uh, I may come back on your show next week and eat my words, Blake, honestly, but uh, that's fine. (laughs) With the Barrios, I think that what you're looking for is movement in the pitches, right? Does the fastball have life? Is a breaking ball breaking in the way that he wanted to. I think that if if you analyze that, you'll see that a lot of his confidence stems from those patterns. When his pitches are sort of lifeless, that's when the confidence dwindles and he doesn't know necessarily what to throw or, uh, you know, he's not mixing his pitches as well. He's relying on uh, one of the pitches that maybe he feels like is coming out best at a given time. And that's when, when he gets into trouble. So if the movement is there, if the life is there, and he feels like he can mix his pitches, uh, that is when Jose Barrios is at his best and he is keeping hitters guessing. So that's what you should look for in that first inning, first and second innings when he's taking a look at the for the first time at these uh, Yankees hitters. Yeah, well, we'll hope to see that uh, a little bit. Um, the, the way the rotations line up for this series – is pretty interesting. So you've got Barrios tonight, obviously Kikuchi uh, out of the rotation. You've got Mitch White with the, we think on Saturday he'll go and and you're up against Garrett Cole. And then you have this monster Friday, Sunday set with Gosman against Tyon and Manoa against Cortez. Um, I know that the Red Sox haven't been as good. And I personally like to poke fun at them and stuff, but it's the Red Sox and they're only a few games back still when you look at four in New York and then three in Boston, what constitutes success for you from this kind of seven-game AL East road trip? That's the thing, right? The Blue Jays have uh, found themselves in a spot here where the wild card race is so incredibly tight. And this team is talented enough. We know that the offense, you know, when it's clicking, it's pretty unstoppable. How do you measure success at this point when you have some ground to make up and, and you're losing steam a little bit in the American League wildcard race? That is a fascinating question, and I'm not sure I can quantify it for you, Blake, right? Because if you're looking at a, at a Yankee series here, with the way the Yankees are playing, 
a series win might not be so unrealistic, but at the same time, the Blue Jays are faltering as well. Uh, with the Red Sox, I will say right now that it, especially due to the fact that the Blue Jays absolutely destroyed them last time, a series win would be the only scenario in which I would say, okay, the Blue Jays were successful. <laughs> with the Yankees, though, it's uh, it's kind of a toss-up at this point. I I don't have a good answer for you. And I would be curious to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, I don't have a great answer either. I, I think the pitching matchups certainly tilt towards the Yankees, but um, I'm going to talk to Lindsey Adler here in a little bit, and, and I don't think the vibes, so to speak, around the Yankees are, are all that great right now, even after that Grand yeah. Slam win last night. They have really <laughs> struggled, and yeah, some of that is just the army of people they have on the injured list right now, but this offense, yeah. the last month maybe has been Aaron judge and a bunch of light hitting guys behind him. And that's, that's not the way that team's built. I I know the lack of strikeout guys they have at the bottom of the order. That's supposed to be a strategy that when you have Stanton and you have, well, at one point Gallo and you have judge when Rizzo's going a little better than he has been. um, Those high contact guys are good to roll the order over. Uh, They're not good when they're making up like five ninths of your order and trying to uh, bring the runs around. So I I would be, I I think the biggest thing I'm looking for is, yeah, you want, you want to split this for sure um, because of the wild card race. But if you go through this series and the starting rotation still looks kind of iffy. And I know the Yankees have been the best offensive baseball other than the Dodgers. So that sounds a little weird, Um, but you don't want to be Jose Brios and Mitch white and be the guy that the Yankees are looking across and like, okay, we can get right against that guy. Does that make sense? It does. It makes perfect sense. And uh, that's a great way to put it. And I think that what the blue Jays are hoping for, you know, baseball is very much a game of momentum. And when you're talking about the striking, the starting rotation, Maybe what they're hoping for is that Ross Stripling's phenomenal outing will build some momentum and give, give him something to build off of for this uh, Yankee series. Well, it can't hurt, except that the Yankees are believing the exact same thing on their side after <laughs> last night's walk-off. So uh, I don't know. Something's got to give here, uh, Julia. I, I hope... Uh, I don't know. Obviously, well, everyone knows what I hope. I got a Jay show to do tomorrow. I, I don't want to go into the weekend uh, on a negative note, but uh, I hope for everyone's purposes that it's a, it's a fun series. Um, I hope you, after six days in a row at the park, have a little time off this weekend. Thank you. Absolutely. I yes. will uh, get some much-needed rest here. <laughs> much-needed rest, and I, I want to hear the final thoughts on A League of Their Own once you're all the way through it. Oh, for sure. We will have the talk. All right. Uh, Julia Kreutz, MLB.com. Thanks so much for taking the time out. And you have a, I know it's only Thursday still, but have a great weekend. Thank you very much. That was Julia Kreutz of MLB.com. She had the Orioles side covered for this series. Uh, Her and Keegan Matheson doing the Jays work over at MLB.com. Great stuff from her. Great stuff from our pal Kelly McCormack uh, with a league of their own as well which everyone should check out if you have a little downtime this weekend. I'm so excited for this series. I I know things have been tense with the Blue Jays, and I know that if the Jays get embarrassed tonight, this show is going to be hard to do tomorrow, uh, and the text line and calls and things like that will be rough. But it's Yankee Stadium. It's two teams in really interesting spots. It's a Jays team fighting for 
a playoff berth and you get four games at Yankee Stadium with two of them as afternoon games. I don't know. It's uh it's pretty good. Looking forward to it. And uh there are all of the Sportsnet people you could hope for uh down in New York for this one. Ben Wagner on the call for you tonight, 705 first pitch on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh we're gonna take a break. When we come back on the other side, Cesar Martin, manager of the Toronto Blue Jays double A affiliate, the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. We're going to talk about Aurelvis Martinez, Ricky Tiedemann, a few other things as well. Uh, that's next. Cesar Martin on Jays Talk Plus on Sports F590, The Fan. More Leafs, more Raptors, more Blue Jays. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. It's a band called Title Fight with a song called 27. Why the number 27? Well, Eric Thames, back in the day for AA New Hampshire, 27 home runs. Chip Cannon, a name everyone surely remembers, is the most NXT sounding name I've ever heard. Also 27 home runs as a New Hampshire Fisher Cat. Aurelvis Martinez, right now, the Toronto Blue Jays' 20-year-old infield prospect, has 27 home runs. He's done so in 127 fewer plate appearances than Cannon and 163 fewer than Eric Thames. He's also done it at age 20, whereas Thames was 23 and old Chip Cannon was 24. The league record, by the way, is 41. Martinez probably doesn't have a shot at that. He'd have to hit 14 home runs in the next 28 games. Uh, I think if he got that hot, he'd be up in AAA. Um, But there are some other interesting marks that Aralvis Martinez can attack here over these last 28 games. In addition to being in a tie for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats franchise record, he's got a shot at some... Blue Jays franchise records across the minor leagues. We had Sportsnet stats. Uh, shout out to Brandon Pollock. Uh, look up at least back as far as 1992. That's as far back as we can reliably search comprehensive minor league data uh, to find out what the highest Blue Jay minor league home run seasons are. Here they are. Chad Matola hit 33 for Syracuse in 2000. J.P. Aaron Sebia hit 32 for Las Vegas in 2010. Gotta love playing in the Pacific Coast League. Chip Cannon, our pal that we just said had 27 with New Hampshire one year. Well, the next year, he hit 32 across three levels. Uh, Josh Phelps also had 31 back in 2001. And Andy Thompson had 31. Now, there is one other one. Geronimo Barroa in 1987 had 36 home runs when Knoxville was a Jays affiliate. But again, there's not super reliable minor league data back past 1992. So Baroa, the unofficial record holder, because 
there's no efficient way to search uh, past that. But Robles Martinez has a chance to get on that list with Matola, Aaron Sebia, Cannon, Phelps. Uh, does it make you feel not great that a lot of those names didn't have long, productive major league careers? I don't know. I don't know. Eric Thames, uh, you know, he got 600 games in. J.P. Aaron Sebia was around a while. Josh Phelps was a catching prospect of the future at one point. Uh, so thanks to producer Jr. and uh, Brandon at Sportsnet Stats for helping us with that query. Rose Martinez will get a shot to break that record uh, tonight and through the weekend. Also this weekend, Ricky Tiedemann makes his third start for double-A New Hampshire. Sam Roberts makes his double-A debut. A lot going on down with the Fisher Cats. So earlier this morning, we spoke to the Fisher Cats manager. He's the 2019 manager of the year with Dunedin. He's come up in the system through the Dominican League, through the Bluefield Blue Jays, the Lansing Lugnuts, the Dunedin Blue Jays, now the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. He was even a Blue Jays minor league player himself. Uh, earlier this morning, we spoke with Cesar Martin, manager of the AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Joined now by Cesar Martin, manager of the AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats, 2019 uh, High A manager of the year with Dunedin. Cesar, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, thank you. How you doing? I'm well. Uh, lots of reason these days to keep an eye on the Jays minor league affiliates, including New Hampshire. Uh, the biggest one lately on a day-to-day basis, I think, is Aravis Martinez is about to break the franchise home run record. Um, how fun has it been to, to kind of watch Aravis go after that this year? That's a good question. Yeah, it's really fun, you know, just to watch uh, a 20 years old, you know, kid here in the way and uh, having the year that he having. He obviously, if you see the batting average, you know, very high, but just to put in the number of RBIs and home runs at the age. Yeah. So that's really impressive. 27 home runs, 68 RBI, uh, leading the team in both and heading for some, some long-time records. Um, you mentioned he's 20. You've been in the minor leagues a good amount of time. How rare is this level of power for a player who's so early on? Well, you're not going to see that very often. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, so obviously, you know, some team, you know, have some young prospect too. But uh, at this age, and having that amount of uh, home runs right now, it's not, it's not very often how that, that's going to happen. Um, looking at, you know, Aurelvis's future and his overall development, uh, not just about home runs. You mentioned the batting average. Uh, he's hitting 211. I know the franchise is trying to instill good swing decisions on prospects as they come up. Um, how have you found Aurelvis is progressing over the course of the season, making those swing decisions and having good at bats? Yeah, we, just like we mentioned, you know, he's uh, 20 years old. You know, we know he's gonna face a challenging here. So just uh, been in the way, you know, at that age and uh, coming from high A last year. I mean, he spent most of the time in uh, low A last year and then a little bit on high A. And now been in here and the way, and we know that uh, he's gonna face that challenge as uh, pitchers in here. You know, have more. Uh, like uh, report about RLB, everybody knows that he got a crazy power. So and then I'm gonna pitch, you know, like easy to him. And uh, I think as the season going on, he's uh, looking better and better. So he been working with the hitting coach, Mahek, you know, talking a lot about you know swing decision, you know, 
just doing better pitching gonna make it gonna give him better results. So I think that's something that he's making some progress right now at this point. What is it that you you mentioned that pitchers you know kind of uh, attacked him or, or looked for certain things against him? Um, what are those things that the pitchers have tried to exploit with Arelvis to avoid the power? Obviously, you know they're trying to make him you know expand the sun, you know by just uh, throwing a slider down down away. You know if, if they see it swinging, uh, so they're gonna keep trying it. But uh, once he's locked in and those pitches are not swinging, those pitches and you know the just uh, looking for his pitches that he's uh, been really good. I mean, uh, you can see those games. Uh, I mean, uh, he looks really, really, really good. Uh, how much do you think the addition of Addison Barger has helped a little bit? That's a little more power. He's another guy who's succeeding pretty well in that lineup right now. Um, those two guys kind of help each other out being next to each other in the lineup? Yep, yeah, you're right. They, they were together last year, too. So, and just uh, adding... Uh, Addison Barger, just like you mentioned, you know, with another crazy power, he's second hit for, you know, using the whole field too. So I think that's a great, great thing in here, just also be uh, next to Aurelius. Um, both of those guys have spent time uh, at shortstop and third base for you guys. Uh, obviously trying to keep both of them uh, fresh at both positions and see what's there. Where are uh, Barger and Aurelius at? defensively at, at either of those positions? Yeah, same thing, you know, they're making progress that they still have room to improve. And you're working on some stuff, obviously, especially on, uh, like, it slow everything down where they have, can have a control. So, but, uh, you know, just having that versatility where both of them can play short, third, and third base, I think create more opportunity. Whatever opened that opportunity in the big leagues, I think, uh, you know, like I said, both of them are working on sunny stuff and different stuff, but uh, they're making you know some progress uh, at this point too. That's great to hear, um, Cesar. Um, Ricky Tiedemann, another guy who got promoted to you guys at Double A uh, not too long ago. He's made two starts here. Um, what are your initial impressions of Ricky and how special he is for uh, a guy who I don't. It, today's his birthday. He turns twenty today. Yeah, yeah. It's another guy that really, really fun to watch, man. I'm telling you, man, when you're watching those guys, it's so impressive to see where they, you know, coming from and the ability that he has. Even he started this year in low A, went to high A, and right now in low A. It's very impressive, you know, the way that he attacked the hitters, how he used all three pitches for a strike. I mean, he's not afraid. He got a great mount presence. So he's very impressive, man. I'm, I'm excited for him and to see him in the big league, you know, who know this year next year, but yeah, I know he's going to be there pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know? The rest of the season here, uh, if he stays with you guys, is the intent to stretch him back out or is he still going to be doing kind of the two and three inning starts to uh, limit the overall load? Yeah, probably he'll stay the same and just uh, knowing that he didn't pitch that much uh, in in uh, last year. So we don't want to, we don't want to rush him. He's just, like you mentioned, he's just turned 20 right now. So, I think the most important thing is to stay healthy. But uh, I know what he's doing right now is really good. Um, he came to you guys after, not directly from Vancouver. He did that stint in uh, back in Dunedin at the, the developmental complex um, in between. What is the communication process like, you know, um, between you and Vancouver and then the, the Performance Center when you bring a guy back like that and know he's working on a couple specific things? Yeah, we've been having a good uh, communication. That's one of the biggest things in an uh, organization. Like, they, 
so I could let him know how they were using him, you know, all the, uh, the amount of pitches that he throwing and the inning that he going. So we just uh, kind of follow the same uh, process. So uh, we've been communicating really well. We know exactly how we're going to pitch over here and what day. So I think communication piece is a really uh, a good thing that happening here in, in the conversation. In terms of uh, Ricky and Aralvis and a couple other guys, but those two are so young, um, you as a manager, do you have to change your approach with them at all versus how you might handle a, a guy who's 23 or 24? Yeah, of course. Everybody's different. And sometimes, you know, uh, you can see, like, guys, uh, you know, like really, you know, young uh, age and they very, very, you know, smart and the guys are, uh, mature gay, uh, people, so you can also, you know, kind of treat them just like, you know, all the guys. But uh, sometimes, yeah, you have to have some uh, uh, maybe more patience with them, maybe explain a little bit more. But, uh, I mean, we know as a manager that we're going to have a challenge, that we have to be patient with them, explain exactly, you know, what we want, what we expect for them. And, uh, I mean, they've been, at that age, they've been very, very, very good. Um one more, uh, another pitcher I want to ask you about, and I know you haven't got to know him yet, uh, but Sam Roberts uh, is joining you guys. He, he's going to um, start one uh, on this weekend at some point. What are you looking for from Seb? What, what are you excited to see from him? Well, right now, you're excited you know, to get a Saturday. I think Saturday is the day that he's going to pitch just to watch him, enjoy him, and, you know, pitch him. And then uh, he did a very good job in Vancouver, and he earned it to be over here. So I'm just uh, waiting for that day. I'm very excited to watch him pitch. That's a great. That's great. Um, in, in terms of uh, the other prospects down there, um, is there an update at all on Josef Zulueta, or is he still on the, the IL and, and no real timeline yet? Yeah, he is still on the rehab progress, so yeah, hopefully he can back, you know, uh, pretty soon. But uh, yeah, he's on the, he's on the process right now. Is he a guy that, if he were healthy, you think is getting pretty close to being ready to help the major league team? Why no? <laughs> With that kind of arm, yeah, I don't know. I don't have any doubt about it. Yeah, he got a special arm. He's a easy a hundred. <laughs> Miles per hour, obviously, you know, we can see that in the big league if you pitch it, but not everybody can do that, like, that easy that, you know, he does it. So, still working on some stuff that are going to help him. But uh, I'm telling you, man, he got the arm and he got some, you know, some good pitch. So, he just had to keep uh, getting more experience. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Cesar, about your own career. Um, you've come up through the Blue Jays organization, first as a minor league player, and, and then through the Dominican League, Bluefield, Lansing, Dunedin now new hampshire um do you look at all at, at someone like john schneider and see how he came up through the same organization and, and is similar in age to you and has reached that manager chair at the major league level like, like do you look at that and does it inform your own kind of personal coaching journey right now yeah yeah i come a long way yeah just like you mentioned yeah so you know, I said everybody in baseball, player, coach. You know, the you know the main goal is just to be one day in the in the big league. But I never tried to rush the, uh, rushing that. It just uh, trying to get better and learn some stuff. So when it happened, it happened. But uh, my main thing is just uh, trying to get better and uh, you know just uh, not to think about the decision. It just uh, you know uh, long and getting better. So when decision come and the opportunity comes, so I just trying to be prepared for it. Um, in terms of your your own development and learning, as you've gone up 
each level from, you know, the Dominican League, A, high A, double A. Um, what have what has changed in your managerial approach or your approach with development? Um, not just for you personally, but also because these guys are closer to the majors. Um, wh what are the big shifts as you jump a level as a manager? Yeah, obviously they kind of, you know, prepared, you know, myself because, you know, as so you go, you know, higher level is a guy had to, you know, learn and teach him uh, more advanced stuff uh, versus, you know, when you're in the on the lower level where they just, uh, you know, started learning uh, the basic things of baseball. So right now it's more like, you know, get prepared for those guys because they're going to ask you, you know, the why or anything that you're trying to work with them, try to talk to them. So it kind of prepare myself and just trying to be ahead of the game and ahead of uh, anything that you're going to work with the player. Uh, last one for you before we let you go. Do you guys have anything planned for, for Ricky for his birthday today pregame? Yeah, we might have a surprise for him, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we won't spoil it here then in case he's listening. Uh, Cesar Martin, manager of the AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for the opportunity. So we'll, con we'll continue to keep an eye on Elvis Martinez's Chase for the right. It's not even a chase at this point. He's got, he's hit 27 home runs in under a hundred games and he's got 28 games to hit one more. I think he's going to get there. We'll see if he can climb up uh, the larger blue Jays, minor league home run record books, uh, 33, the high water modern mark. Because we don't have good data going back past 1992. Uh, we know there are higher ones. Uh, by the way, Sem Robersa is, uh, I, I said Roberts earlier. It's got an extra syllable in there. I apologize. Um, all right, let's look ahead to this Yankee series. We're going to talk to Lindsay Adler of The Athletic for the Yankee side of things in a couple minutes here. That's how the rotation lines up. Jose Brios against Frankie Montes. Kevin Gosman against Jamison Tyone. We think Mitch White against Garrett Cole, and we think Alec Manoa versus Nestor Cortez. We say we think because while it hasn't been 1,000% confirmed yet, I don't think. Yeah, there's still TBDs up on the website. Uh, it has been confirmed that Yusei Kikuchi is now a relief pitcher. It's uh, an interesting change that was coming. It's uh, not something he's ever done as a major leaguer. We don't have um, perfect stats from his time coming up in the Japanese leagues. So we don't know. There are, there are some seasons where we uh, aren't a thousand percent sure, but it looks like if that data is accurate, the last time he started, he came out of the bullpen would have been 2015. So it's been a minute for you say Kikuchi, not a lot of splits to go off of. Uh, we did talk though. We were a little ahead of this kicking around the idea of what could that look like and whether you say Kikuchi could succeed in that role. We spoke to Eno Saris of the athletic uh, a week or so ago uh, about just that August 4th. We spoke to him. So two weeks ago, and here's what Eno had to say about what Kikuchi could look like as a reliever and why there might be room for optimism 
he's a starter to relief transition candidate, at least in the short term. At a broader level, if you're looking at struggling starting pitchers who could succeed in a bullpen role, what are some of the indicators you're looking for? I think I'd be looking at maximum velocity. What, what are the hardest pitches they've thrown in the season? Um, I think that represents a little bit of a. I don't think you. I don't think you throw harder than your maximum when you go to the bullpen. You just throw closer to your maximum. Right. Um, and so I think that's why you see some uh, pitchers gain more velo when they go to the bullpen, and some p- pitchers don't gain that much. It depends on how close they were to their maximum anyway. Like for example. Uh, Clayton Kershaw's maximum is down to about 92 miles an hour. I think he he throws 90, 91. So like, you know, putting him in the bullpen doesn't make that much of a difference. <laughs> um, uh, Kukuchi has thrown 98 this season. Um, and he sits uh, 94. I think you could, I think you could uh, get him to sit 96, 97 for an inning. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, I think that would make him better on top of that. Um, with Kikuchi, uh, part of the problem with his command is, um, you know, other pitches. In terms of uh, commanding the slider, he actually puts it in league average locations. It's when he throws the changeup or the cutter that it goes to poor locations. The forcing fastball, too. But if he can command the slider, if you want one inning out of it, he could establish with the slider and blow them away with 97. Yeah, that's that's interesting. He would, be, he would be a very good reliever. There you go. Eno Saris of The Athletic. Uh, he, that kind of sold me on it a little bit. I talked to a few people, and there's uh, a guy named Kevin who who I DM'd with a little bit about, and I was kind of negative on the idea of Kikuchi succeeding as a reliever because so much of his issues have been first time through the order, first inning. Um, you know, if you don't have fastball command as a reliever, then you know, you're going to run into the same thing. Basically the things he would need to do well as a reliever, if he was doing them well, we wouldn't be talking about moving him into the bullpen, but Eno's point about the slider fastball mix and how you can lead with the slider a little bit more to set up the fastball instead of vice versa. If you're just letting it gas for one inning out of the bullpen is an interesting one that I'm curious to see. Now, will Kikuchi sit? 97 with more regularity because he's coming out of the pen. We don't really know. This is an, this is something that mentally it makes sense, right? You tell a guy, Hey, you're going out to throw six innings or Hey, you're going out to throw one inning. You can dial up the intensity. But if those game logs from the Japanese leagues are correct and you say Kikuchi has not done that since 2015, it's hard to say that, it'll work that way at least immediately. That's a different way of pitching. That's a different way of preparing your body. It's a different way of getting ready to come into a game. Yeah. There are pitching coaches and pitching strategists and other pitchers around Kikuchi who he can lean on for advice with that. Um, But that is kind of the not long-term, but medium term. If he figures this out and it clicks for him, that's what it could look like. The short term, we don't really know the long term. We can be, fairly certain that unless Kikuchi just becomes an absolute lights out back-end bullpen guy down the stretch here, that he's going to get another shot to start next year. Because the Jays are paying him too much for the next two years to 
lock him into a bullpen role for too long. So short term, we don't really know what it'll look like. Long term, we know he's almost certainly going to get another chance to start. Medium term is that area that Eno identified where Kikuchi could really succeed as a reliever. And as it turns out, medium term is exactly where you'd be six, seven weeks from now. And that happens to line up with the playoffs. If he's not effective out of the bullpen, not effective enough that you could trust him in leverage situations by the end of the season, maybe there's a question about him not being on the playoff roster. But I think your ideal scenario is he finds some success there. He's a guy that you enter the playoffs. Maybe he's the piggyback off of a stripling or something like that. A lot of questions in the text line yesterday and today, including from uh, from Dylan, who just sent one in, about Ross Stripling having earned the third spot in a wildcard series. I'm not against that. Uh, I do think the one thing to keep an eye on, though, is that the Jays have to make sure that they have a playoff spot locked up before the last week of the season if they're going to line up their starters the way they want for the wildcard because that series starts on Friday and the season ends on Wednesday. If you're fighting for a spot down to the final game, you maybe don't have that luxury. Let's take a break. On the other side, we'll talk to Lindsay Adler from The Athletic. We'll get a look at exactly what's going on in that Yankees 12-22 and 22 stretch and what to expect from them this weekend. That's next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That's Joyce Manor. This is the official Canadian baseball show of all things adjacent to Nathan Fielder in the rehearsal, as I'm sure we'll get into uh, with our next guest. She covers the New York Yankees incredibly well for The Athletic. She's Lindsay Adler. Uh, let's have a chat with Lindsay. Let's see what the heck is going on with the Yankees who are 12 and 22 lately and very, very bad since the trade deadline, even worse than your Toronto Blue Jays. Now joined by Lindsay Adler of the athletic covering the New York Yankees, uh, much, much more importantly, actually I have a whole bunch of non-baseball nonsense for you, Lindsay, if, if I may. Uh, yes, please. Um, okay. So, I know the dog didn't get treats the other day, but you just got back from a coffee run. Does the dog get like those little pup cups that I see people post? Yeah. My dog Fisher, he has like a, a mental map of all of the areas where he gets <laughs> T-R-E-A-T-S. He's in the room, so I can't say that <laughs> word um, in, in the neighborhood. So he loves going to, fancy clothing store he loves going to the fancy stationery store he knows all of the coffee shops and ice cream uh shops by place the the place i just went i sometimes get him like a small cheddar biscuit 
there, but I opted against that today because I'm mean and horrible. So, yeah, basically when I'm not at the ballpark, I am being led by my dog from uh, retail establishment to retail establishment to to clean up on on Brooklyn's finest dog treat offering. Well, look, if you're going to spring for the fancy stationery, uh, your dog should at least get something out of it. Um, Lindsay, we're, we're going to talk about this Jays-Yankee series, the first of four tonight in New York. But the big question for people with brainworms like us is – how are we going to juggle the rehearsal finale with the 7 p.m. start on Friday? I'm doing a lot of, like, mental math for what it would take for me to be able to catch up on the finale of the rehearsal before, like, 1 a.m. on Friday night. Um, I did just watch the Yankees and Red Sox play a game in two hours and 15 minutes, so... That seems impossible, given what I know. (laughs) Yeah, about given what I remember and know about the Yankees Red Sox rivalry, that seems borderline impossible. But maybe the Red Sox are just that checked out of it. Yeah, there's there's definitely a chance, but I have a feeling I'm going to be putting my phone on do not disturb in the late innings and going to the clubhouse uh, trying to not speak to anyone about anything other than batted ball outcomes or whatever it is until I can sit on the train for 40 minutes and then uh, open up the HBO max app at like 1245 AM or something insane like that. It did cross my mind that uh, a very Nathan Fielder thing to do would be to somehow spoil his own finale for everyone publicly. I don't know how that would work, but uh, I'm sure he could find a way. Um, So the Jays and Yankees playing four. this could have been a really different feeling series. Had the Jays not been pretty bad themselves lately, this could have been a series where they're taking a looking to take a chunk out of the Yankees division league. As it is, most of the Mm -hmm. AL East, except for Baltimore, struggled at the same time the Yankees struggled. They still have a 10-game lead in the division, but they have gone 12-22 and since that ridiculous start. Um, What is the energy like around that team right now, and and what exactly is going on here? Mm, Let me paint the picture. (laughs) Uh, Yesterday in the batting cages, the Yankees were blasting Kid Rock at a volume I've never heard coming from the cages. Uh, They were calling up, they were calling up rookies. There was so much media at the ballpark yesterday because, uh, I mean, I think, I think part of it was, you know, Yankees calling up, you know, a a prospect and and bringing back some, you know, other players to try to find a spark. But also I think a lot of media members are descending to, watch the collapse or I guess watch the spiral. Um, Just very, very, very weird vibes. Uh, It's like covering, covering last year's team and and doing it over zoom really didn't help, but like um, covering last year's Yankees team that really never got too hot, never got too cold. It was just like weird. Um, I, I thought a lot about like, you know, what it takes to, make a good team perform as it should. Um, And so it's like kind of like getting back to that now, but it's like a weird thing because last year they really had to like win every game. Whereas like right now, like, like you said, they've gone 12 and 22 and it like so far, unless the spiral really, really continues, like it it may not matter. Um, We may just like look back at this period 
Like, we may get to the end of the regular season. The Yankees may still win the division. Uh, and we may look back at this period and be like, wow, that was weird. Um, so it's like this weird mix of, like, everyone's kind of freaking out, and there is quite a bit of urgency, but also, like, it's not totally consequential yet. It's, the, the kid rock blasting from the batting cages, though, like, you know, that's – that's. Um, I appreciated that as as an attempt at, at a vibe shift, I guess I would say. Sure. Um, the blasting of the music in general it could be a good choice, but the Kid Rock choice, it, it feels like, like the way you set it up there and describe it and then you add the Kid Rock element, it feels like the Yankees are going through a divorce is what it is here. Yeah, kind um, of. Maybe, yeah, they kind of have divorce energy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> A little bit of Joey Gallo curse here as well, where he was such a nice guy and so well liked, but they they had to unload him. I I think there is actually an interesting Joey Gallo element here in that he took so much heat from the fans and took you know and became you know sort of the, the face of their shortcomings or whatever. And then once once he was leaving and once he you know won over some some fans on a, on a personal level by being honest about his struggles like the attention really turned to some other people who are not you know lighting the world on fire like Aaron Judge um, and I think that's been actually a really notable um, shift I mean I think players are feeling the pressure I think you know or I, I'm aware that you know Aaron Hicks knows that he is having a bad season uh, Josh Donaldson is like knows that he is not playing up to his standards at the plate. I, I do think, in a, in a sense, like losing Joey Gallo as like the, the face of the problems with the Yankees has increased the pressure on some of the uh, less consistent contributors on this team. And so, you know, it's at a point where Aaron Boone is saying in press conferences, like, you know, like learning how to deal with this pressure and this adversity is like part of being a major leaguer. So it's, um, for for what may end up being like a very kind of easy waltz to an AL East title, it's been a, it's been a bizarre season in the Bronx for sure. Yeah, and I remember talking to you um, not on air, but but just in general, not too long ago, and it was like, well, they're so good, and Aaron Judge is so ridiculous that like, how do you write mm-hmm. about anything else moment to moment? Yeah. And now it's almost the opposite where. You know, I was talking to Caitlin McGrath, uh, uh, our, 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 I don't work there anymore, um, the, the <laughs> Athletics Blue Jays writer yesterday, and she was saying kind of the same thing. Every game around Toronto feels so magnified right now that how do you write mm-hmm. about anything else? Are, are you feeling that a little bit too? Is there, I guess, a better way to frame that question is in this slide where they've gone 12 and 22, are there things happening that you're – a little more focused in on because those are holes that existed before, or you could see existing like, like some of this is going to be noise and up and down, but is there an element of this where you look at it and you're like, that's, that's real. And that could bite them. If not in the first round, when you get to a Houston or something like that. Yeah, it's definitely been an experience in them kind of laying out their own shortcomings and I thought that the way they handled the trade deadline um, really showed what the Yankees thought their weaknesses were you know they acquired 
Harrison Bader to play center field. Uh, they, you know, acquired pitching help. They acquired Andrew Benintendi, who is a contact hitter instead of a swing and miss guy. Um, but kind of the big thing is like, you know, there were there were there were ups and downs, and players having tough seasons, even when they were, you know, winning like crazy every night. Um, but to an extent, it, it, it kind of didn't matter. You know, I mean, it, it did matter, uh, but I, I don't think the standard for any ball club should be, you know, a perfect season from every player on the roster. I think these things happen. And so I think when you have, you know, Judge having a season he's having, you know, Giancarlo Stanton lighting it up, Aaron, or Anthony Rizzo being pretty dang good for most of the season, DJ LeMahieu returning to form, it does kind of cover up a lot of those issues with, like, Aaron Hicks and Josh Donaldson, who actually has been very elite on defense. So it's, you know, it's, it's not even like he's not contributing. But what I what I wrote the other day was that, like, you know, as John Carlos Stanton has been on the injured list, Matt Carpenter is on the injured list, CJ LeMahieu and Anthony Rizzo have been playing through injuries. Like, now it is, like, those second-tier guys, the, the Glaber Torres, the Josh Donaldson, the Aaron Hicks, who they're – lack of production uh, has actually been really glaring and, and really has been kind of like the difference for the Yankees. Like when, when, when they're losing a guy like Stanton and now everyone's just pitching around Aaron judge, like they need Glaber Torres to be performing at a much higher level. And, you know, obviously Josh Donaldson hit a big block off grand slam hmm. last night. Uh, and that's, you know, good for him. Good for the vibes. Maybe they won't have to return to kid Rockwell today but like it it's been weird to cover because when they were winning so many games at the beginning of the season every win was like cool and exciting but it just felt like piling on and now it's like fine it, it, it's basically like covering two different teams I guess is what I would say yeah uh, cover first a first place team and, and a first last place this, team yeah <laughs> yeah um so that you know last night they get that walk-off grand slam uh, after, boy, I can't imagine what the energy would have been if they had just given up three in the 10th and that was it. Um, you know, over here, it's funny that the Yankees and Jays have paralleled each other a little bit, even though the Yankees are still an order of magnitude better, where the Jays were like, oh yeah, maybe they'll cruise to the top wildcard spot and now things have fallen off. And yesterday, <laughs> Ross Stripling goes six perfect innings and doesn't factor into the decision um they could have been these teams could have been in a, a very odd place tonight as it is uh, the jays kind of shook it off yesterday had a big six run inning the yankees have this walk-off grand slam um coming off of they had scored nine runs over the seven games prior um do you put any stock into you know, a big win like that kind of igniting a team or, or letting them shake off the the bad energy um and the fact that Jose Brios is coming in tonight maybe uh, maybe doesn't hurt either. Yeah, that's definitely what the Yankees have kind of been looking for, which is kind of to me the most the most fascinating part of all of this. Like when you're when you're spiraling either personally or as a team, you know they always talk about like this one big hit can 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 pull you out of the funk, but like you really can't control that. You know, like you can't you can't put it on your on your calendar and be like, you know, on this day, 
Josh freaking Donaldson is going to hit a walk-off grand slam against the Rays in extra innings. Like, you just can't plan for that. And so, to me, what's interesting is, like, okay, so if the Yankees can't, like, get that moment or, in this case, I guess can't capitalize on it, like, how do you pull yourself out of that? But I do think yesterday we had a very different feeling to it at the ballpark pregame. There was a lot of just, like, energy, like, okay, let's, like, end this losing streak tonight, I guess. I'm guessing that today there will be some sort of like relief, like, you know, we're facing the Blue Jays who I feel like always play the Yankees really hard. Um, But I I do think it would have been uh, a a remarkably different like vibe matchup if if the Yankees and Jays had not both kind of, you know, cleared some demons (laughs) yesterday. I I think, I think we would be having a very different conversation over text message this afternoon. If if they were both coming in, just like kind of playing like garbage. Um, I certainly wouldn't have started the interview off with questions about your dog and the rehearsal had uh, had the Jays <laughs> lost yesterday. Um, no, maybe, I, I do that, think, maybe that would have been the move. Yeah, true. Um, and, and we also get this is kind of like uh, the sports writer's version of, um, or or at least a sports writer who, you know, dabbles in narrative. This is the unstoppable force against the immovable object where like, there are going to be Jays people and Yankees people who head into tonight and being like, yes, the game yesterday got them going. It shook it off. Momentum is real. And then one team's going to lose. Um, and it can't obviously be true for both teams, but it'll be, it'll be fun uh, through that lens. Lindsay, I wanted to ask you about where the Yankees are, are from a starting pitching standpoint. Um, you look at the way this series matches up on paper and it looks scary if you're the Blue Jays. It's Montes, Tyon, Cole, Cortez. Um, I know Montes hasn't been quite what they had hoped for, and there was the stint on the bereavement list and everything, but you had consecutive articles at The Athletic around the deadline titled, Yankees Acquire Pitching While Showing Pitching is an Organizational Strength, and then Yankees Trade Jordan Montgomery Prompting Questions About Starting Pitching Needs. And I know you probably did those headlines... <laughs> intentionally to contrast each other like that. But do you think, you know, zoomed out here a little bit and with Severino on the, on the IL now, do you think the Yankees mismanaged or, or misevaluated their starting pitching situation at the deadline? Okay. So that was like very confusing to me and Yankees fans at the time, why they would be, why would they why they would get Montas be in on other acquiring other starters and then trade Jordan Montgomery and then leaves which leaves Domingo Herman as the fifth starter here. Um I will say and I don't know how to say this in a way that probably doesn't sound rude, but after seeing the Aaron Hicks situation over the last week, I can understand why the Yankees felt that um acquiring a good defensive center fielder under club control through next year, who may have showed up to the clubhouse after being traded in the walking boot uh, was <laughs> worth giving up Jordan Montgomery for. Um, I, I, I'm I guessing they may have had a, had, have had a harsh evaluation of their center field situation. Um, I, <laughs> I think it's, it's one of those things that looks like a very, weird situation they they went in for pitching and then they exported pitching but 
I think no, I, I think they're I think they're starting pitching is in a good place. Um which I don't think I would have said a couple of weeks ago. I mean the the big factor is Garrett Cole does this weird thing where he just like has a run of a bunch of good games and then just like gets lit up in one beginning and like has like kind of a wonky box score and the Yankees lose that game or whatever. So it's like, you know, limiting the uh, calamity innings for Cole, um, like calamity single innings for Cole. Like that's the only thing that like I could, I could see the blue Jays doing that to him because they just like have that pesky thing about them. Um, Tyone, I think is, is starting to sort of figure out whatever the heck was going on with him for about two months. Um, he was in a very weird place where it was like, it wasn't totally that the stuff was bad. He just, it wasn't clicking for him to use it. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think this is a different conversation than we would have had about the Yankees starting pitching in May when they were just like lighting up the world. But, um, I can see why it would be kind of like a tough task for the Blue Jays at this point, even though the Yankees have kind of made some strange maneuvers with their, with their pitching staff over the last few weeks. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one where the Jays offense has not been particularly good. And there's the weird thing that's gone on with the Jays offense where obviously you don't prefer to face guys like Garrett Cole and Nestor Cortez and Frankie Montes, but it's been those kind of like, low velocity, high savvy junk ball kind of guys that have really frustrated the Jays, basically the pitchers who can out approach them. If you're going your best stuff Mm -hmm. against the Jays bats, the Jays bats are going to win sometimes. And then if you're going more Mm -hmm. like, well, we're going to beat you on approach. We're going to keep you guessing. We're going to make you stick to uh, a pretty stiff game plan. Then things don't go the, uh, the Jays way. So it's an interesting contrast that way. Uh, The Garrett Cole element too. I mean, he sounds like a Blue Jays pitcher when, when you talk about him with all those uh, one-inning blow-ups. Um, Lindsay, are you – I guess maybe this is a question for uh, – depending on where the standings are later, but are you going to be on the trip back to Toronto in late September? Sure am. Sweet. Uh, I will look forward so to that. Excited. Yeah, and I will drag you back on the show and make you talk to me again. <laughs> um I, I really appreciate you taking the time out this morning. Uh, enjoy the series and best of luck avoiding spoilers on Friday night. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We're going to, we're both going to have to go on do not disturb unless the, the Jays and Yankees just, you know, each have one hit or something like that and, and knock this thing out in two and a half hours. <laughs> I think I'm going to be fine because that show airs at 11 here and that game's at seven and I'm not, I'm not on the road, mm-hmm. so I, I could just watch yeah. that on the couch, yeah. and I'll be okay. Thanks. But I will, so I'm, I will so be I'm just respectful. Alone, so you're just leaving me alone on this. Yes, <laughs> yes. I will, but I, I mean, we know people in that uh, fielder group chat will also be watching later with mm-hmm. you. So we'll see. Uh, maybe I'll maybe okay. I'll save it in solidarity. We'll see. We'll see where things go. <laughs> All right, um, Lindsay Adler of the Athletic. Thanks so much. All right, so that's the Yankees' side of things. We've got the Jays' side of things in terms of lineup for tonight. George Springer, back in there at DH. I will go through the lineups a little bit more, and we'll tee up the pitching matchup in just a minute here. 
couple texts in the text line. Uh, one came from MP in Scarborough asking about uh, if Jimmy Garcia would be an option um, to slide into Kikuchi's spot stretched out uh, and stretch him out. You can't make that move in the middle of the season, I don't think. Um, you could use him as an opener, perhaps, but he hasn't thrown more than 25 pitches this year. He hasn't started a game since 2015. Uh, that's a lot to ask of a guy on the fly. Um, you've got five guys in the rotation right now that I think you'd be much more comfortable with. Maybe an opener thing is something you explore if Kikuchi's going to figure things out and be kind of a bulk guy out of the bullpen in time. But for right now, uh, Jimmy Garcia, who hasn't started a game uh, in forever, you can't really uh, you can't really do much with that. Um, you can, however, at least be aware of the underlying part of your question, which is that with additional rest, Jimmy Garcia has been pretty good. How good? Uh, very good, you might say. He's uh, He's been one of the Jays' best relievers. Um, when he has no rest, he actually has an ERA of uh, zero. So maybe it's just one and two days rest that he doesn't like. Uh, ERA of zero when he's pitching for the second consecutive day. ERA of 7.59 when he has one day's rest. Uh, ERA of 10.13 when he has two days rest. And then uh, he has only given up one earned run all year if he has three or more days of rest. I think, you know, we we talked about this a little bit last week when the Jays used five relievers on Friday night coming off of two off days um, because they didn't want to keep guys sitting down for too, too long. It's going to vary reliever to reliever. Um, Garcia looks like a guy who can go two days in a row, but maybe benefits from a, a longer break as well. And, and that's there's also probably some kind of uh, causation confusion in there as well because it's also possible uh, the team chooses when to give him those extended rests with intention because he's been struggling or the velocity dips or something like that. I'd have to dive into the game logs even more uh, to know for sure. Um You'll have other guys who like pitching every second day. Adam Simber seems to love that. He wants one day up, one day down, one day up, one day down. He's near the league lead in appearances. That seems to work just fine for him. Jordan Romano has one of the weirdest game logs I can remember seeing for a closer where he just has these bursts of pitching like four times in five days or four times in six days and then not pitching for a whole bunch of time. He hasn't pitched in quite a while right now. Um, and he's a guy, if you look at the ERA splits, uh, again, it's kind of all over the place. He's been really good when he pitches for the second day in a row. He's been solid. If he's pitching on one day's rest, he's been bad with five days rest, but really good with four or six days rest. This is, we, we start chopping stuff up into tiny little samples and it's hard to pull too much. But all of this is just to say that um, when you look at recent outings for a bullpen, some of it is probably situational. Like, Hey, you had to use a guy, whether you like it or not. I'm sure that even though Adam Simmer likes to be one up, one down, they didn't want to use him four times in five days as they did from Friday to Tuesday. I'm sure they didn't want to use Trevor Richards uh, for 67 pitches over a four-day span, but that's what the that's what the situation's called for. 
And then some of that is also probably with intent. Jordan Romano having four days off here. He wasn't getting particularly warm yesterday. Maybe that's a, where they looked at a spot in the schedule and said, look, if he doesn't pitch for a day or two, we're going to get him an extended break. It's hard to say without asking, but it does seem like there is some intense uh, intent rather um, with the Romano rest. Uh, Bob tweets in says as a Yankee fan, the Montgomery trade was dumb. They wanted Harrison Bader, then gave up a, then give up a prospect to give up a legit number three or four starter was stupid. Um, Yeah, it's uh, we talked to Lindsay about it and it's a, it's a tough read. Exactly all the things the Yankees juggled there with Montgomery going out and, uh, you know, Lindsay laid it out for us as politely as she could that Aaron Hicks' defense in center field has not been very strong. Uh, he's in his second partial season in a row of not hitting well. Uh, they must have felt that even though Bader is not due back until probably September, that that was a necessary ad. I, uh, I think a center field fill-in is a little easier to find than a guy who can be a mid-rotation arm personally. I think you maybe could have moved a Domingo Herman or something like that, or as Bob said, prospects, but um, they're the Yankees. They're going to they're gonna do Yankees things, and sometimes that's spend a lot. Sometimes that's do weird moves that feel a little like they're overthinking it. But they're at the top of the division still with a 10-game cushion. So big picture, you can't question too, too much, I guess. Lost 22 of their last 34. Had only scored nine runs over seven games before the outburst last night, which it should be noted, yeah, they got those eight runs. They only scored four in the first nine innings. It's not as if the offense was popping from the jump. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at what lineup the Yankees are throwing out there against Jose Barrios. We're going to look at who follows George Springer in the Blue Jays lineup. We'll take a closer look at Frankie Montes. Uh, That's next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. You may have heard that last person before, Taylor Swift. Uh, it is game one of a four-game set at Yankee Stadium for the Blue Jays tonight. 7.05, first pitch. Ben Wagner with the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Blair and Barker have Jay's Talk for you post-game. Even though my brain has thought it's Friday most of today, it is not. It is Thursday. So Blair and Barker have you post-game. And Jay's Talk Plus is back tomorrow. Um, I was going to say regrettably, not regrettably. I love doing the show, but I did think it was Friday for a good chunk of today. Oops. I think it's because, so I do a segment on the fan morning show every morning with Alish and JD and JD was off today and Alish is off tomorrow and said like, goodbye, have a good weekend at the end. I think that disrupted my day. I'm going to blame them. Although I also got to talk to edge WWE superstar as part of that show this morning. So maybe it's fair trade-off, fair trade-off. Uh, Monday Night Raw is here on Monday, by the way. Going to head there with JD 
and his, uh, his big bro. See how that goes. See how the new regime is doing over there. A couple texts in the text line before we get to the lineups. Uh, Call it in Bolton says, since the trade deadline, the Yankees have two wins. Joey Gallo has three home runs. Thank you. So Joey Gallo curse. Lindsay mentioned the clubhouse element of it. I would just like to point out to a lot of Blue Jays fans who thought me wanting, lusting after even Joey Gallo as a buy low candidate around the deadline or if he didn't get dealt and ended up getting DFA'd, uh, he's been pretty good. It's a tiny sample, sure. Nine games, 26 plate appearances, but uh, slugging 700 as a Dodger. Be a shame if that came back to haunt the Yankees in the World Series. Be even more of a shame if uh, the Jays took the Yankees out uh, on the way. George from Toronto says, we shouldn't overthink Kikuchi's immediate future. He'll be in low leverage, and it's almost inevitable he'll start sometime soon because of doubleheaders or injury. You're absolutely right, George. Um, it is a interesting thing to look at right now because of where the team is and where Kikuchi is performance-wise. It's an interesting baseball philosophical of what type of struggling starter makes a good relief candidate. Uh, but big picture, not only this year, but future years, like Kikuchi's going to start again. He's got to figure out the starter side of things because the Jays need it too badly. And because it's baseball, you like, if it's not Kikuchi, Thomas Hatch might be the next man up and you don't want that. All right, let's take a look at how these teams line up tonight. Again, two, Two pretty good teams that have really struggled of late. On run differential, on a lot of catch-all metrics, they would be the number two and number three teams in the American League. Hasn't felt that way for a couple weeks, maybe even a month. One of these teams is going to have won two games in a row after tonight. The Yankees put a good foot forward with Frankie Montes. Um, Unless... You want to do the funny spin on things where when the Jays, we don't know if they were in on Frankie Montes much, but Jays fans certainly wanted Frankie Montes. At that point, Montes was awesome. Now that he's a Yankee, ah, he's bad. Uh, we can look at the stats and, and pick out what we want. Uh, in seriousness, he has a 359 ERA overall. He's been rocked in two starts as a Yankee um, around a bereavement stint. I would still trust the larger sample here. That larger sample on the season has Montes with an 87th percentile chase rate. So one of the best in the league at getting you to swing at stuff outside of the zone, 69 percentile whiff rate, which means not only are you swinging at stuff outside of the zone an above average amount, you're swinging and missing 65, 65th percentile strikeout rate, 60th percentile walk rate. He has average ish contact stuff. If you can make contact with it, it's, you know, he's not a, a soft contact master necessarily, but he'll get you to swing at bad stuff. He'll get you to swing and miss. He won't walk you. It's a pretty good foundation to build on. Uh, he also throws 96, by the way. Uh, that 96-mile-an-hour fastball, he throws about 28% of the time. He locates it well in a couple different spots in the zone. Uh, opponents are hitting 267 against it, which isn't bad. Uh, they also haven't slugged it particularly well, haven't hit it for power. Um, he will get a lot of swing and miss with the fastball relative to other fastballs, 27% whiff rate with that pitch. So you can hit it for average, but you're not hitting it for power and you're, you're going to swing and miss at it a good amount. As far as fastballs go, 
He also throws a 96-mile-an-hour sinker about 22% of the time. He actually locates that sinker a little up in the zone, um, which is for a reason. The sinker is a good ground ball machine that gets hit at a 311 clip on the year. The reason the sinker is an effective setup pitch, though, and why he can use it higher in the zone is that he'll also drop in an 86-mile-an-hour split. He throws that about a quarter of the time, too. So you've got three pitches that all kind of look the same. A fastball he'll locate anywhere, a sinker he'll locate up, and then a splitter he'll locate down. And those, when Montes is going, those tunnel well, those all look the same coming out of the hand. That splitter has a 174 opponent batting average against it. It's a ground ball machine. He hammers it low in the zone and below the zone. If you're a lefty, you're looking splitter first. It's his primary pitch against lefties. He actually goes, it's pretty interesting to see because he throws five pitches. He also throws a, a slider and a cutter. That cutter, by the way, uh, not one extra base hit against it this year. It's not a high-volume weapon, but pretty effective uh, when he does it. The slider, meanwhile, has been hit harder, but has a huge swing and miss rate. So a bit more of a boomer bust pitch there. Against righties, he leads fastball, then goes slider, sinker, splitter, cutter. Against lefties, he leads splitter, and then goes fastball, sinker, cutter, slider. So a uh, very different approach depending on the handedness of the batter. The Jays haven't seen Montes in a while. May 3rd, 2021, the last time he played against the Jays. Uh, you can look at the whole sample. He's faced active Blue Jays for 56 plate appearances, allowed a 327 expected weighted on base average, which is the stat cast metric that looks at walks and strikeouts and quality of contact. That's not bad. It's nothing special. The bulk of that sample, though, is George Springer and Whit Merrifield. Springer's 5 for 16 against him with a home run. Pretty solid with Merrifield's eight of 16 against them. The rest of the team, seven of 22. The big note here, zero walks. Whether that's the Jays planning to be hyper aggressive against Montes last time out, whether it's the sample being a little dated and Montes just wasn't quite the as established as a top guy as he is now. So you maybe approach it differently. Um, you're going to want to be, you don't want to go 56 plate appearances without a walk. You'll, you'll say that uh, for sure. Here's how the Jays are going to line up against Montes. George Springer leads off and is the designated hitter. He was doing some throwing pregame, according to tweets from the beat reporters. He continues to ramp up. We talked to John Schneider yesterday before the game, and he said things are basically where they're supposed to be, where they expected it to be. Um, he's going to continue to progress on the throwing side. Uh, for right now, though, he remains a DH. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. follows. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Alejandro Kirk, Teoscar Hernandez, Bo Bichette in the sixth spot, which is notable because Matt Chapman is in the seventh spot. Chapman's been kind of the guy. They're bouncing around wherever the hole is in the lineup. He's back in the seventh spot tonight, where for a good chunk of the season, he was the best seven hitter in baseball. When the Jays' offense was going and you didn't have to worry about moving Matt Chapman up because everyone was kind of clicking at least a little bit, yeah, he had a like a two-month stretch there where no seven-hitter in baseball could touch him. Santiago Espinal plays second and hits eighth. Whit Merrifield rounds it out, hitting ninth, playing center field. So your bench then is Danny Jansen, Jackie Bradley Jr., 
Kevin Biggio, and someone I'm forgetting. Oh, Rymel Tapia. The extra outfielder. I almost said Bradley Zimmer, who got claimed by the Phillies earlier. Uh, yeah, there you go. That's your that's your lineup on the Jays side. You like that? There's, it's the uh, the all righty approach against Montes, which is uh, kind of makes me feel silly for having just gone through how he pitches lefties differently. But what are you gonna do? That's uh, we we do the prep. We do Montes. Is a splits guy though. Lefties have hit him better this year. Lefties have hit him better in his career. So it'll be interesting to see if Biggio, Jackie Bradley Jr., Rymel Tapia get used as an early pinch hitter at any point. Santiago Espinal, I would imagine, wasn't their initial choice to start at second against Montes. That might have been a Biggio day. He's got five hits over the last two games and 10 over his last five starts. He might be heating up again. And you want that glove on the field as much as you can. Here's how the Yankees are going to counter against Jose Barrios. DJ LeMahieu, Aaron Judge, Anthony Rizzo, Josh Donaldson, Andrew Benintendi, Gleyber Torres, Oswaldo Cabrera, Jose Trevino, and Estevan Florial. We know that Jose Barrios is a big splits guy. The Yankees have... Three lefties and a switch hitter in there. So Rizzo, Benintendi, Florial, who just got called up, and Oswaldo Cabrera, who's a switch hitter. It's not as deadly a lineup as the Yankees have sometimes looked this year because Giancarlo Stanton and Matt Carpenter and a bunch of other people are on the IL as well. Um, Harrison Bader, their big trade deadline acquisition. So... You'd hope Jose Brios can get back on track, even though this is still a very good team. Josh Donaldson hasn't hit well. Are you going to be super comfortable with Josh Donaldson at the plate as the Blue Jays? Probably not. It's still a very good team. Jose Brios, I mean, who knows at this point? On merit, he is as much of a candidate for a role change as Kikuchi. His ERA is worse. Um, He's had... Lower lows, um, but he's had highs more consistently. And those aren't spectacular highs, but before his last two starts where he was a borderline disaster, he had railed off a July with six starts in which he allowed three earned or fewer every single time out. That's not too long ago. Rios is still getting a lot of chases outside of the zone, still not walking a lot of guys. The issue is that everything he throws uh, that gets connected with is a rocket. And as we talked to our pal Chris Black about earlier in the week, as he put in a lengthy thread last weekend at Down to Black on Twitter, it's a lot of fastball issue. The curveball has become his number one pitch by volume and by success. It's still an elite pitch. However, the fastball has been tough. It's been tough by location. It's been tough by results. Um, that has an effect on the sinker he throws to righties and the changeup he throws to lefties. Both of those have been kind of underwhelming this year, probably in large part because those are pitches designed to play off the fastball. Ideally, you're using that fastball to set up the curveball too, but he's had to almost invert that. 
We'll see how that goes. He's faced these Yankees a lot. 153 plate appearances, uh, a 354 expected weighted on base average. Again, that's the stat cast metric that looks at walks, strikeouts, and quality contact. That is not a very good mark. Benintendi, Judge, Rizzo, LeMahieu. All in the lineup, all hitting in the top five of the lineup, all with at least 15 plate appearances against Barrios and pretty good success. Hitter versus batter stuff is not perfect. It's not perfect even in large samples because 15 plate appearances is still not a large sample, even if it is for this. But Jose Brios allowed five over five and a third and three over five in his two starts at Yankee Stadium this year. That's not too far from mind. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa not playing in this one, not all that surprising. He's one of the few guys, along with Jose Trevino, who has struggled. Who have struggled against Jose Barrios. Trevino, one of the coolest stories of the season, uh, kind of scrap heap guy, who's become an all star and a fan favorite in New York. Barrios has had some success against him. You'd have to hope that continues here. This is the first time in over a month that the Blue Jays are underdogs on the betting line. And I pulled some data from a U.S. site because when we talk about the lines here, usually we'll reference what the lines are on a a site that's available in Ontario. And we don't get too deep into the betting on this show, but I do think that it's a helpful indicator of what the public outside of Toronto thinks about a team. And to do that, we look at American lines because here in Ontario, maybe Toronto sports fans swing a line in either direction because they're overly pessimistic, overly optimistic, overreacting, whatever. Um, The Jays, even in the U.S., hadn't been underdogs in five weeks. You have to go back to the end of that series in Seattle for the last time the Jays were dogs. They're dogs tonight, plus 135 on the money line against the Yankees. Over under set at eight and a half. Maybe underdogs suit the Jays better. It certainly fit their personality better last year when they were uh, the plucky upstart who could do no wrong, even though they missed the playoffs by a game. Expectations are real. The weight of those expectations is real. I think when we talk about things like body language, uh, the energy around the club, the potential for bad things to snowball or good things to snowball, depending on the direction. A lot of that has to do with how expectations change the dynamic around a team. The expectation for this team was unquestionably you make the playoffs this year. They're still in a spot to do that. Narrowly uh, escaping, falling out of it yesterday. The way things line up right now, the Yankees are 10 games up on Tampa and Toronto. Despite the Yankees being quite shaky the last 35 days, the Jays haven't made up much ground. Remain 10 back. They might be out of time. In the wildcard race, though, Seattle has the top spot. They're one and a half up on Tampa and Toronto, who are tied. Minnesota's a game back of Toronto. Baltimore's a game and a half back. Chicago White Sox are two games back. And Boston, who the Jays will see for three next week, still only four games out. White Sox have a tough weekend. They've got Houston right now. But Baltimore playing the Cubs, it's not a terrible, terrible landing spot. Um, 
sorry, the White Sox have Houston today, and then they'll play Cleveland the rest of the weekend. Uh, Minnesota with a little bit of a lighter one with Texas. Tampa Bay's got Kansas City. Seattle's got Oakland. So that's to say the teams around the Blue Jays have decent opportunities this weekend. The White Sox and uh, Cleveland will kind of cannibalize each other. One of those teams has to lose. But everyone else facing a sub-500 opponent, except for the Blue Jays, who have the Yankees, feels big. It is big. It's uh, We're in uh, late August here, and you're playing four games against the Yankees. It's awesome that late August baseball is so meaningful, um, but all those good feelings and smiles yesterday for Ross Stripling going six perfect before coming out in the seventh. All the energy from Espinal hitting a two-run double, from Kirk hitting a two-run double, from George Springer coming through with a huge pinch hit single. That goes away quick if you fall down to the Yankees in this four-game set, especially because the Yankees are entering also looking to right the ship. It's uh, maybe this series gets split 2-2 and both teams feel the exact same coming out of it as they did coming in. Feels like winning the series for either side could be uh, a big thing to build on it and take a step back forward because both of these teams are better than they've played the last month, month and a half. I don't think there's much question about that. The Yankees played so well early in the year that they have all the cushion in the world to figure it out. The Jays don't. The margin for error is done. John Schneider keeps using the term urgency with a reason. Tied for the last playoff spot with only a game cushion and lots of teams around you with at least for the next couple days, easier schedules. How you feel about the Jays schedule coming up kind of depends how you feel about the Red Sox and what they do this weekend and where they are at next week. They're still only four games back, though. You can't look too far past them. Uh, You can't look past the Yankees, though. You can't look past Jose Brios against Frankie Montes tonight. It's going to be a fun one. Thank you to Julia Kreutz and Lindsay Adler for coming on with us and helping us set up the series. Uh, Thanks, of course, to Cesar Martin, manager of the AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats, who, if you missed it, was on with us earlier to talk some of the Jays' top prospects. Thank you to JR and Derek behind the glass for all the help. Ben Wagner has the call for you tonight. 705 first pitch on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Blair and Barker will be with you for Jays Talk post game. I'll be back for Jays Talk Plus tomorrow in the three to five slot. As usual, a fan drive time with Ben Ennis is coming up next. I'm sure he's going to do a lot more. I mean, he's probably going to talk a little bit of Nazem Kadri, uh, but in addition to that, teeing up more Yankees Jays stuff. We're back tomorrow on Sportsnet 590, the fan.